Good morning, Every Nation family, and a special greeting to those of you tuning in from all around the world. It's such a, a, an amazing privilege to come into your households this morning. I'm just feeling so incredibly grateful for technology, which allows us to still find a way to connect, even during this time of, of lockdown. I want to encourage you to make the, use, the, the best use of this time uh, to pray together, to find ways of connecting together with family and with the Lord, uh, that we come out of this space better, stronger um, than what we were before. This morning, I want us to look at a portion of Scripture in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and really just looking at a time in the life of Israel when Israel was a young nation, still coming to grips and grappling with their political systems, their Levitical systems, even their socioeconomic systems. Uh, A lot of these were were still setting. And we'll find ourselves in the scene where the entire congregation of the nation of Israel is, has come against the two brothers, Moses and Aaron, who are the God-appointed leaders over the nation. But as you find your way uh, to the book of Numbers chapter 16, I just want to address three questions that I've come across on social media regarding COVID-19 that have been a little bit um, concerning for me. First uh, one is whether COVID-19 is the wrath of God. Is God releasing his wrath and his judgment over us? Secondly, is God releasing this disease over us so that we would slow down, go into our homes, and be able to hear him better because there'll be fewer distractions? And thirdly, is this mother nature culling the the, the numbers in order to ensure the survival of humanity and of nature. Now, if we were to address the first question, uh, is this the wrath of God? Well, saints, I would understand how you arrive at this uh, position if you're only looking through the lens of the Old Testament. God certainly does reveal himself and his nature in the Old Testament, But if we're going to understand the nature of God, we really have to look through the lens of the entire Bible. The real key that unlocks our understanding of God is Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross. In fact, Jesus says of of himself that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the manifestation of the Father. And and we see that through the work of Jesus on the cross that, that Jesus takes on himself all the pain all the sin, all, all, all the shortcomings of the world. And with it, he attracts the wrath and the judgment of God. So yes, we see that there's instances in the Old Testament, a lot of instances where God would release his anger or his judgment almost immediately sometimes. But because of the work of Jesus, that anger, that wrath, that judgment was poured out on Jesus so that you and I would not receive the judgment, but would receive the love of God. Friends, you and I are meant to be objects of the love of God, not objects of his anger or his wrath. Jesus took that on himself, so don't you worry yourself about that. Whoever's telling you that this is the wrath of God being released over the world simply does not understand who the God of the Bible is and has not given themselves an opportunity to understand through the full lens of Scripture. And to the second point, uh, whether whether this is something that God has released so that we would hear him. Again, 
we would need to understand who God is through the lens of the entirety of Scripture. You see, God is not a God who buys into the end justifies the means uh, kind of philosophy. And we can see that throughout the Bible from the way that the earth was created, the, the people that God called to serve him, how he set up the worship system in the tabernacles, in the temples, how, how Jesus came to be born in the world and appropriated our salvation over us. All of these things speak of a meticulous God who cares about the process, cares about the people as much as he cares about the outcome. So no, God is not orchestrating this process so that we would hear him better. By the way, God is always speaking to us. The Bible tells us that through, through nature and through the created world, that God is speaking to us. And these things bear witness of his presence, of his power, and of his sovereignty. He does not need to introduce a disease so that we would hear him. His law is written on our hearts, and our conscience bears witness of the fact and the third thing, is Mother Nature angry with us and releasing her fury so that some of us would survive and a few would be sacrificed? Again, this does not speak into the God of the Bible. In fact, what it does is, is it betrays a particular standpoint of people who believe in a, in a distant God or even no God at all. A, or rather, a distant God who has uh, left humanity to his own defenses to his, to, to his own wits and could care less about the ongoings of man and the universe. This is not the God of the Bible. And by the way, um, this kind of a, a thinking is dangerous. And we see it prevalent in many uh, movies and the arts of late, don't we? The problem with it is that the few who are sacrificed for the many, even, even in the arts, are the have-nots those who are vulnerable, um, those who have less than. This is simply not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is for the disenfranchised. He's for the foreigner. He's for the poor. He's for those who don't have a voice, and he would not subscribe to a philosophy that sacrifices them for the sake of the many. All right, I hope that's given you an opportunity to find your way to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 16. As mentioned, remember... We are at the place where the, the congregation of Israel is gathered against the two brothers, Aaron and Moses. Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, God appointed, and Aaron, the high priest over the nation of Israel, God appointed. And here we have these people who have come against them because their accusation is this, you, you've killed God's chosen people. And when they say this, they're referring uh, to the leaders of some of the tribes who the previous day, literally the previous day, had led a, or tried at least to lead a coup and a rebellion against the authority of Moses. God saw this as an attack against his own authority and acted to reinstate his authority to ensure that any, any person who witnessed what was going on would be under no doubt as to who God is, his sovereignty, and who he has chosen. In fact, what he did was he allowed the, open, the, the, the earth to, swallow, uh, to open up and to swallow those of the rebellion, those who were leading the rebellion. And, and everybody who saw this was freaked out. They were in fear, but they got the point. God is sovereign. God is in control, and he is not to be questioned. Or we think they got the point, because the very next day we find them in verse 41 
of number 16 saying, says this, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Imagine those who were, had come against God's chosen, those who were rebelling against authority are now being called the people of the Lord. Verse 42 says, Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I, might, I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Saints, what I want to cover in the time that we have left is really three principles that help us to know what to do in this time of crisis. People that we're called to be in times of crisis through the lens of the actions of Moses and his brother Aaron. We're called to be activists. We're called to be priests and we're called to be shepherds. Called to be activists priests and shepherds. When this congregation of people were gathered against Moses and Aaron, they didn't shrink back. They didn't resign. They didn't wash their hands of these people. They appealed to God, God who had given them the authority to fulfill the functions that they were now busy fulfilling. And God appears and once again, he reestablishes the lines of authority. And when these brothers recognized that, a, that death and a plague was hitting the people, again, they did not wash their hands of the people. They did not sit and debate about the best way forward. In fact, what they could have done is to wait a while for the plague to do some really heavy damage. Not that 14,000 people is not heavy damage. But they could have waited for the, 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 the plague to take out half of the people because then they have half of the problem to deal with. But no, this was not their hearts. They immediately jumped to action, and Aaron runs into the midst of the people with his priestly garb on, with his censer, and he stands in the face of death. He challenges death, and he represents the people before God by making atonement to them for them using the censer. Coals that were taken from the altar and, and the incense that was burnt on the coals so as to make a smoke that rose up to heaven. And it was the smoke that would come up before God as a sweet-smelling offering and would cause him to retract and pull back his judgment over the people. 
we're called saints to roll up our sleeves and get involved. Certainly, let us, let us be active on social media. Let us put our, our, our opinions out there. Let's put information. Let's ed- educate as many people as possible. But that's not all we're called to do. We're also called to find ways of running into the midst of the congregation, of standing between the plague and the people, of representing the people before God. We're called to be activists. Second thing we see by looking at Scripture is that Aaron acted as a priest in that moment. Putting himself aside, he had his priestly garments on, which were represent, representative of his priestly function. He acted as a priest, and he represented people before God. The other thing we need to realize with the function and the representation of Aaron was that the, 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 the robes, his priestly robes, which we don't have time to get into in terms of their description right now, but the priestly robes were representative of the, or, or, or what we'd call a type and a shadow of the Christ who would come many generations later. His, his censer that he carried and he wielded, he used it to minister in the presence of God and he used it as a weapon of warfare during this time of plague was an agent of purification and holiness. It was representative of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be priests before God and to represent the people of God before him. And so Aaron fulfills this function well. He is the priest who ministers before God. He's the priest who goes between the people and stands between them and death. He is also a type and a shadow of the Christ who would come, who is our ultimate high priest, who who intercedes for us uh, before the Father. It is his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, that now rises up as that smoke before the Father and is that sweet-smelling fragrance that is pleasing to God. That is why we are no longer recipients of the anger, the wrath, of the judgment of God, because the high priest, our ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ, has made the sacrifice, has mingled in the incense, and the smoke rises up before the Father, and it is sweet, and it is pleasing to Him. It's good for us to also recognize in this space that Aaron was insufficient in and of himself. Now, you'll notice that nobody else ran to the aid of the people. Not even Moses, the leader of the whole nation, ran to fulfill this function. In fact, Moses gave Aaron the instruction to go and do this. This was not an act of cowardice from Moses' part, by the way. This was Moses' understanding that it could only be Aaron who was called to fulfill this function. Why? Well, because Aaron was chosen by God to be a priest. So it couldn't have been Moses or any other of the tribal leaders who would run to the aid of the people. It had to be the man who was chosen by God for that particular function. And so Aaron had to be chosen. Aaron also, through the, the, the fulfilling of the priestly role and, the, and, and uh, through, represented through the, 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 the priestly garb, represented royalty. He was the high priest, he is royal. And so not only was he chosen by God, bore the mark of being chosen by God for this particular function, but he also bore the marks of being, a, being royal, being a royal priesthood uh, before God. And thirdly, Aaron didn't go empty-handed before 
before God, or he didn't go empty-handed into the midst of the congregation. No, he had the censer with him. He had taken the coals from the altar, and he had put them into the censer, and he had taken incense and scattered it on the coals to make the smoke that would rise up before God. And so he wasn't empty-handed. That censer, which represents purification and holiness, and also just represents the Holy Spirit who empowers us for our ministry. So there's three elements here that we need to recognize that really uh, uh, empowered Aaron for this particular work. The fact that he was chosen, the fact that he was royal, a royal priesthood, and the fact uh, that he was holy. Now, many generations later, after the time of Aaron, after Jesus had come and he had died on the cross, Peter would put it to us this way in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Saints, Aaron carried that identity, that he was, he was chosen, he was royal, and he was holy. And that is an identity that enabled him to minister. Jesus carried this identity, and it was an identity that enabled him to minister. We today carry this identity, that we are chosen, that we are royal, that we are holy. It is an identity that enables us to minister, to be part of the solution, and to run into the midst of the congregation with the solutions that God has given us, the blueprints of heaven. Third thing is that we're called to be shepherds. So we're called to be activists. We're called to be priests, and we're called to be shepherds. Jesus, in, in the scriptures, will call himself the good shepherd. He says the good shepherd is a shepherd who is willing to die for his flock. The hireling, the servant, when he's looking after the sheep and he sees a wolf come into the fold, does not fight the wolf. He jumps over the, over the fence and runs away to preserve his own life. Why? Well, because they are not his sheep. If, a, if one or two of them die, he still gets paid. But the lover of the sheep, the owner of the sheep, feels the loss of every single sheep. And so that the good shepherd will fight off the wolf, will kill the wolf for the present preservation of the sheep. You and I, saints, are called to be good shepherds to the people that God has called us to look after and the people within our communities. The other hallmark of the good shepherd is that he stands alone. Aaron, when he ran into the midst of the congregation, didn't have a group that ran with him. He stood alone, and it was right that he should stand alone. In fact, the good shepherd, our ultimate high priest, Jesus, stands alone in being the savior of all mankind. Nobody else helps him. In fact, nobody else can help him. In the same way that it had to be Aaron, and only Aaron, who could make atonement for the people so that God would forgive them, Jesus is the only one who could stand before God, who could stand between us and death and make, us, and make atonement so that God would forgive us and come into a relationship with us and reconcile us and repurpose us for his glory. It had to be Jesus. Picture it, if you will. Jesus wielding his censer. In it are the coals from the altar of his suffering. And, and he pours the incense 
onto these coals and the incense is his works. It is his tears. It is his prayers. It is his intercession. It rises up. It burns. The smoke rises up to the Father and it is pleasing before him. He does not mingle his incense with our incense. He does not mingle his offering with our offering because it would taint the pure and perfect offering that Jesus offers before the Father. Saints, you and I have nothing of worth to bring before God. We have nothing that we could bring to him that would cause him to, that that would make atonement or that would cause him to forgive us. We appeal fully and wholeheartedly to the person of Jesus and to the work of Jesus on the cross. It is only through that offering that we receive the forgiveness of sins. And so even as Jesus is the one who stands between us and, 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 and death, and stares death down, our role is, is, is to run to Jesus under his covering. And so we are faced with a decision. Some of us have made this decision. Some of you are yet to make this decision of where we, what we will choose. Will we choose to receive the work of Jesus, our high priest, our shepherd, and our activist who stands between us and death? Will we receive that work and, and, and be beneficiaries of it? Or do we want to rather appeal to our own works, our own sacrifices? Do we have our own censor that we want to bring before the Lord? If we, if we take a, a few steps back, in fact, one or two chapters before the, uh, chapter 16, we read that there were 250 of the elders uh, of, of, uh, of the tribes of Israel from the Levitical lines who had brought their own senses before the tabernacle because their understanding was, well, Aaron, if you can do this, so can we. So they had brought their own senses and they were intending to minister as Aaron ministers before God. Problem was that only God Aaron was called to fulfill this function and recognized by God. What was the result? Well, if you go and read in the scriptures, you'll see that this is something that angered God incredibly. Scripture tells us that fire came out from the presence of God and consumed all of them, all 250 of them, consumed them with their senses. And yet we see that Aaron performs the exact same function, different results. For the 250, it was based on selfish ambition, their own works, and not being appointed by God, and it resulted in destruction. For Aaron, it was based on being chosen, being royal, being holy. The motivation was love for the people that he was called to minister to and to lead. The result was the preservation and salvation of the people. And so the question is laid before us. What kind of people are we going to be during this time? Are we going to cower? Are we going to be afraid? Are we going to run for the hills? Are we going to support and spew erroneous views of who God is and why this is happening? Or are we going to be activists and priests and shepherds to the people that God has called us to minister to? Thank you for tuning in. Amen.